Welcome. I hope you're having a festive day. You are listening to Provisions and Libations, and I am your host, Robin Bogue, on the Mission Matters Podcast Network. Today's topic is bubbles, sparkling wine, and champagne. And my guest is Tracy Bogue. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. I don't know if anyone caught that, but I did say Tracy Bogue. That is the same last name as me. And yes, it's my sister. I'm so excited. We're here talking about her one-year anniversary for Club Bubbly. You're wondering now, what is Club Bubbly? Club Bubbly is located in um, the Creamery in downtown San Luis Obispo, and it is the cutest little wine bar and um, bubble shack in Club Bubbly. It's just everything about sparkling wine. And um, Tracy, tell everyone about your decor, because this is something I tell my friends when they come. You tell everyone, where did you get the idea for this? So the creamery was a creamery back like 100 years ago. So the whole property is very rustic. I have a faux brick wall inside. And I love the kind of mix of industrial and like a little bit of glitz and glam. So I have a brick wall with some gold shelving that comes off of it where all the bottles are stored. And then um, kind of a sparkly bar and some crystal chandeliers and kind of a little bit of a blue idea in here. So all the the chairs are like a nice bright blue kind of velvety material. So I wanted it to be comfortable, classy, and kind of fit with the industrial vibe in here. Everybody that I know that I talk to, they love it. And I love the blue velvet. Like it's just the right color blue. And it just, you walk in and you're like, oh, it's so cute. Like everybody's, and then you have live plants. Like it's just well done. Like the taste is so appropriate and it just, it looks so like it makes you want to come back. So thank you. Good job. Yeah, I definitely, the comfy chairs was a a must have for me. I know I'm sitting in one. I like it. (laughs) Uh, So tell us about one year you opened a year ago. Tell us about your one year. uh, Tell us about the year that you've been here. Yeah. So it's been a really great year. Um, So many people have come back and that kind of means everything to me because I know I'm probably doing something right if they like to come visit again and again. But yeah, I opened in late July of 2022, um, just hit a year of being open, having an anniversary party soon. And it's just been a wild and fun ride. Yeah, that's good. How did Club Bubbly start? So started as a subscription um, where you could go online, you could sign up, we would ship directly to you, or you could pick up locally. Um, and things were going great over the years, just steadily growing. And then COVID happened. <laughs> yes. So although the club was doing great because people loved the idea of buying online and shipping, um, I ran my business through another downtown location. And unfortunately, due to COVID, they had to close. So I had to think of kind of my next steps and whether I would keep the business strictly online, or if I would have like a brick and mortar somewhere that people could come visit. Um, And when I found this space in the creamery, it kind of made the decision for me because it's the perfect size for me. It's very small. I have 12 seats, but that's manageable for me. So Mm -hmm. I knew I could, I could do it um, as it is for, for the time being. I do have some help now. um, Some great Cal Poly interns that are um, 
just hard workers, great girls, and both uh, in the wine and viticulture department at Cal Poly. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. So congratulations that you're stepping up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plus, it's hard to hand over and allow someone to run something w- in your absence. Like, yes. I know that. That's that's not an easy thing. You got to have yeah. trust. Yeah. And you also have to have that lifeline of a phone call mm-hmm. away to where it's like if they, they have a question, they, they want to call you. Yeah. So. And I have cameras, too. Yes. Oh, so if they have a question, I can just look on the camera and help answer it that way too. Yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So you also are a Cal Poly grad, um, I believe ag business with wine and viticulture minor. Yes. I graduated back in 2002 and that's what they had at the time. Now there's a whole major program and they don't even offer it as a minor anymore. So um, I'm kind of the, the old old regime of at Cal Poly wine and viticulture. Well, you haven't done so bad for yourself. Tell everybody about your wine pedigree, your wine resume, and the things that you've done in the wine world since then. Yeah. So I was a sales rep for quite a long time. I worked for a couple of smaller distributors here in California, uh, one larger one. So I got a really good kind of balance of, you know, boutique brands of wine and even some like specialty spirits and um, then the last couple of years, I worked at two local uh, wineries up in Paso. I worked at Dow and Austin Hope. So that really helped with the hospitality side of things. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it's not hard to be hospitable, but then there is technique and talent mm-hmm. and patience. Yeah. And, you know, you have to figure out as everyone comes in what to do with them and how yeah. you're going to treat them and all of that. So I get it. Um, being with all of the the jobs that you've had over the years, you've done some amazing wine trips to Europe. Tell me about um, a couple of those. I know I've heard them when you're talking to customers because that's why some of your product that you have here that you sell, they're from places you've actually been. To. Yeah. So I went to Champagne and Alsace, France in 2020, I'm sorry, in uh, 2017. And uh, was able to tour a couple houses that I do have here in the shop. Uh, Louis Roterer, uh, Tattinger, um, and the Pierre Gimene. Um, So just had a really great time at all of those houses. And learned a lot about the history of Champagne mainly. Because it goes back, you know, multiple world wars and just how they got through it. If anyone thinks that maybe they're not into wine, but you're into history, I definitely suggest going to Champagne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people don't realize that World War II mm-hmm. went through and ravaged everything. Yeah, and then they they took wine cellars full yeah. of wine and yeah. kept them for themselves. Yeah, they learned after the first war, um, kind of maybe we should close off this part and open up this part, kind of get them hooked, and then when they would go back to their that they would have a desire for champagne. So it was also a work on marketing too. Yeah. Yep. That, um, the dad, the book that dad gave us, um, the billionaire's vinegar. And then what's the other one? Wine Wine and War. War. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those are excellent books that I will have a link on my website for those books. Um, our dad, who's been in the wine industry for years, um, when, 15 years ago, when I had my tasting room, uh, we actually did a book club discussion on that. And that's where I got my information. So that would be a great way for you to quickly learn without having to go to Champagne. Although Mm -hmm. I would rather go to Champagne and learn firsthand. Um, So with that, tell everyone the differences of Champagne to sparkling wine to Cava 
uh, Prosecco and everything. What are the main differences between those? So one thing people don't always know is that Champagne is a place. So um, it's about 90 minutes outside of Paris and it's roughly about twice the size of Paso or Napa. So it's a pretty big region and they specialize in Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier. And that's what they use to make champagne. Um, So you can go somewhere else and say you're in Spain and you have Cava. Well, Cava is made in the same method as champagne, but it's different grapes. It's grapes that are, you know, historically grown in Spain for cava production. So Macabeo, Pairata, Zarello, those are kind of the main three there too. Um, And then if you go to Italy, a lot of people have heard of and had Prosecco. Well, Prosecco is a different method. So Prosecco, the bubbles are made in a large tank. It's called the Charmant method. And then they're transferred to the bottle. So it's quicker, it's less expensive, less labor intensive, um, and gives kind of like a different texture uh, when you're drinking it. And the grape there is also different. That's called Galera. But Italians do have a version of bubbly um, that is very similar to champagne in the in the make and in the grapes. And that's called Franciacorta. Oh. So that's coming from Northern Italy. It's made in the champagne method. So that means the bubbles are created in each individual bottle. And the grapes there are Chardonnay, Pinot Nero, which is Pinot Noir, and Pinot Bianco, which is Pinot Blanc. Oh. So... It's just the Italian version. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. And there's a few other places in the world that have their own terms for bubbly when it's made in the champagne method. Um, Like South Africa, it's called Cape Classique. Um, And then in Germany and Austria, it's called Zekt, spelled S-E-K-T, but pronounced Zekt. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. And here in the U.S., we don't have a fun word for it. We just call it sparkling wine. (laughs) (laughs) Because we always called it champagne. And then they came after us and said, you need to fix that. You're you're misleading the market. Yeah. In in the same way that if we were dairy farmers and we made cheese, we don't call it Parmesan. (laughs) Yeah. Very much. Great. And, And you can also look at it that if you were in South America or somewhere and someone was trying to call something Napa or Paso. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't want that either, right. you know, where people kind of look at it and go, oh, you know, the French and their champagne. It's like, well, no, we should do that, too, with things that are special here. Hence, like Napa or right. Paso. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Like, well, in Paso used to be known for Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. And now they're more of a Rhone Valley. Yeah. And because it had more of the Rhone characteristics and they know that now with yeah. a little bit more science and study and research and all of that. So it's changed over a little bit, but you know, it, that the wine world is so fun and it's always evolving. So what are your three favorite wines or in wine pairings? Okay. So if we're talking champagne or really anything bubbly and, you know, light and clear, I would say French fries with champagne. Yum. That is the ultimate favorite. Um, With lots of salt? Lots, yeah, great sea salt. Okay, but the so, question is ketchup or mustard? Do you need them? <laughs> no, okay. I prefer an aioli or nothing. Okay. <laughs> I'm not really a ketchup or, or, I mean, I like mustard on a hot dog, but not on french fries. Yeah. yeah. My uh, One of my latest podcasts was, okay, are you ketchup or mustard yeah. on your hot dog? And I'm like, never. Yeah. Ketchup is for french fries. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I cut you off. You're so. Oh, so other pairings too. So say you have like a rose sparkling or even a still rose. That is really good with barbecue. 
So especially barbecue that has like maybe a sauce, like a sweeter sauce on it, which, you know, on the central coast, we kind of pride ourselves on, you know, barbecue with salsa. But if you have that sweeter barbecue, then a sparkling rosé is really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then another one, um, which is a like very traditional pairing in France is fried chicken and champagne. Yeah. So the idea there is that the crisp and acidity of the bubbly kind of balances with the salt and the fat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same with French fries. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. I think they might um, take a bottle of bubbly home tonight and stop at the store and get some crispy chicken. Yeah. Actually, I'll get chicken and then fry it. Yeah. Or I'll go, can I go to KFC or is that in a way? No, go. I mean, whatever you like. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Well, I've never been one to like try to, I guess the word is like shame people for what they want to do with wine or food. Like if you want to put ice cubes in your wine, do it. Like if that's what makes you happy, that it shouldn't matter what other people think. Right. I, um, being a former winemaker, I have done ice cubes and Mm -hmm. if it's not cold enough, it's, you do that and then fish it out with a fork or a spoon, you know, cause you don't want the whole ice cube in there yeah. watering it down, but at least cool it down. So yeah. I get it. Yes. Okay. So what are your future plans here? So right now I'm just working on building the club, um, kind of back to what it was before I had to close it down for a little bit. Um, that's kind of the main goal. And then the future goal would be to do trips. So take, you know, small groups, maybe six or eight people, to Champagne, to um, Northern Italy and go see, you know, Franciacorta properties and Prosecco makers, go to Spain, have some cava, all of it. I will book that trip. That would be a lot of fun. (laughs) And then tell us about your first year anniversary party. I know that you have some fun things planned. Yeah. So Saturday, August 12th and Sunday, August 13th, I'm having a couple small parties for my one year anniversary. So each Party will be about 12 people, given that I have a small space. I figured that was the best way to do it. And there's going to be lots of bubbly, um, oysters, caviar, some little sweet treats. So maybe some surprises. Oh, <laughs> nice. So you're not going to give out all the details. Not all the details, no. No, but tell me about the caviar bumps. Yeah. So it's kind of a fun way to enjoy caviar. I will also be serving it on um, some locally made potato chips. But if you put just a little bit of caviar on um, kind of the area between your thumb and index finger. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And then you just kind of eat it off your hand. So you get a little bit of the saltiness of your own skin. And you're also not like diluting the caviar, if you will, by having like a potato chip or another like traditional... um, thing for caviar to be served on is like a little bellini with some creme fraiche, um, which is great, but I kind of want to do it in it's like more pure form. Yeah, I get it. I agree that because yeah. otherwise, like you said, diluting the flavor or adding yeah. to it, enhancing it, but yeah. you just really want the caviar flavor. Yeah. Very good. So as a recap of today, I learned something that the, the, how do you say it? Francorta or Francorta. Francorta. Yeah. That I did not know that. I knew a yeah. lot of the other things just being in the wine world, yeah. but that that is something new. Um, thank you very much for coming on and telling us a little bit about your history and telling us a little bit about all the bubbles and all of the great things that you have. Um, I want to thank you for spending some time with me. And um, if you're interested, if you're local, San Luis, Santa Maria, Paso Robles area, 
and want to go to the one-year celebration, please go to my website, robin at eatdrinkandbemerry.online, or that's my email. Go to my website, eatdrinkandbemerry.online, and there'll be information there. What is your website? Clubbubbly.com. Okay, for more information. And then if you enjoyed today's episode, please follow Provisions and Libations wherever you listen to podcasts. I will be back next week with an all-new episode. I am your host, Robin Bogue. You can learn about me on my website, eatdrinkandbemerry.online, or my LinkedIn profile, Robin Bogue. I look forward to entertaining you, informing you, and enlightening you with the perfect accommodations for connoisseurs of provisions and libations with an Epicurean flair. But first, let's eat and drink.